You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We've got a lot coming on the show ahead of us. We're going to talk markets in just a moment with Darren Newsom, Senior Analyst at Bar Chart. Before we're going to get into the weather in segment two, you might almost say in segment two, we're probably talking markets again with John Baranek of DTN Weather as we discuss what's coming with this summer forecast. In segment three, we're going to dig into this debt ceiling negotiation finalization. Bill Hoagland, Senior Vice President of the Bipartisan Policy Center, will join us again. Again, talking about what is and isn't inside this raise of the debt ceiling. And uh, that is all coming here on today's show. Before we dive into all of that, however, folks, it got hot for most of the Corn Belt this past weekend. Saw the trade take note of that. But it also got hot last week in the cattle complex. That's where we're going to start with Darren Newsom, senior analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, $190 cash fat <laughs> cattle at the end of last week. That's a record by a large margin, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous even going back on the charts. I mean, we got cash, we got June futures, we've got August futures. Uh, I had a gentleman call me this morning. You know, he, he always likes to ask me, you know, about, you know, price uh, price ranges and he's widened the DEES contract out. Now he asked me, you know, what what's next, 200 or 160? And we were sitting around 180. So, I mean, that's just that's just the nature of the beast right now. And it's just absolutely wild. It, it is. It has been an incredible time. We've talked about this a lot on the program, this tight supply, strong demand situation, driving cattle to mm -hmm. records. But Darren, the month of June, we're going to see something interesting play out because we've got the expiration of the June live cattle contract. Mm -hmm. So we had cash trade at 190 on Friday. We've got the June live cattle contract in delivery right now, priced at 177. How do these two things come together, Darren, this convergence between <laughs> the cash price and the futures market? When does it happen? Happen. Well, theoretically, theoretically, it's supposed to happen by the time the June contract goes off the board. I just looked it up last trade, June 30th. It goes into delivery today, June 5th. So you're right. We're in delivery. We're in the delivery period now. But there's another aspect of this we have to throw in, and that's the index price is sitting at 171. So we've got the cash index at 171. We had reported cash at 190 last week, and we've got June futures at 177, 178, somewhere in there. We've got three different moving parts, at least at this point, and they do, theoretically, they do have to come together, most notably the index and the futures. But what's interesting, if we if we compare those two, we have weak basis. If we compare the actual cash market and futures, we have strong basis. This is going to be fun to watch play out. We usually don't see this situation. In fact, as you said, it's historic uh, what we're seeing at this point. I'm not sure how this is going to play out. I'm not sure which side's going to have to give. I was talking to some folks in the industry last week, and the general theme seemed to be last week was a blow off top in the cash market. But then we got Friday's boxed beef. We were up $10 for the week on choice. We were up $6.5 on select. Maybe it's not a blow off top. Maybe we still have that incredible demand as we're just now making our way into summer. All right, Darren. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens with this cash trade as we look out to this week. As you mentioned, it mm -hmm. is that balancing act all on the back of the consumer right now. But for this, the for the futures market, for hedgers watching these record prices out there in the deferred live cattle months, could there be the opportunity for fireworks with June in delivery? Absolutely. I mean, there, there really is. I mean, I was asked this morning if, if the D's contract could hit 200, uh, you know, and it closed last week just short of 180. So, I mean, th there is a lot of expectation out there. How can producers take advantage of this? You know, if they if they want to make some cash sales, by all means, if you can cash contract into this, do it. I wouldn't want to be the one holding short futures. Yes, the market could collapse. I've, I've been a proponent of just buying options and roll, put options and rolling them up, uh, you know, just some insurance policies in here. Uh, I don't want to be the one stepping in front of this. I don't want to be the first one stepping in front of it. Let me put it that way. 
That makes sense. Darren, it's it's interesting to watch this cattle market right now. It'll be instructive to see how it plays out and what we learn about the economy more broadly. But I want to loop back to what we started this conversation with, Darren, the heat that's developed across the Corn Belt, the dryness that's developing here across the midsection of the country. Where do you see this weather market heading in the grains from here? Yeah, it's interesting that we, you know, if we look at the Dease corn contract, we've, we've been starting to getting some bullish technical signals, uh, you know, long term and short term. So it looks like we're, we're, you know, we've got some we've got some room to the upside now. Future spreads are bullish. They have been bullish for quite some time. Uh, so it's telling us the commercial side is not completely convinced we're going to solve all of the supply and demand issues uh, as we come out of the 22-23 marketing year into 23-24. So there is some upside potential here. It's overbought. Uh, these corn's already overbought. We've got implied volatility up above 30%. So there's some ideas that, you know, short term, this market could top out. But you know, longer term, this market may be trying to establish a long term low that we, you know, we've been in a downtrend since May 2022. That looks to be changing. If so, we could be sitting sideways to moving up uh, for the foreseeable future. All right, Darren, moving down to the Kansas City wheat market, mm -hmm. we've got that contract up 10 cents here in the nearby September, also up 10. Are we getting to a point where we know the size of the KC crop and we have to ration or is this just a headline pop? I think, you know, the reality is we know that the crop's not there. We don't know what the size of the crop is yet, but we know the crop's not there. At least the majority of it isn't there. Future spreads have been inverted for as long as I can remember. It's been telling us that, you know, there's a real concern with this crop. I think this is more than headlines. We did get some rains over the weekend across the Southern Plains, across most of the plains this past weekend. You know, whether or not that really did anything to slow harvest down, I doubt it, but there was probably some delays. But I think the big picture here is, you know, the market's waking up to the idea that we simply don't have the hard red winter, the 2023 hard red winter crop out there at this point. All right. Well, that 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 drought has certainly been something to watch develop. Darren, I want to go global here mm -hmm. while we got you on the program. Turn our focus to the oil markets. We saw mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia make an interesting announcement this past weekend, cutting supplies a little bit. What do you make of this and what overall is the impact going to be on crude? going to see the production cuts announced last April extended that, you know, there wasn't going to be a huge shift in OPEC plus policy, uh, particularly given the, you know, the, the break in, in the both crude, both the Brent and West Texas intermediate. So, you know, they came out, they announced they were going to keep the cuts in place. We saw the market jump initially two to three dollars. It wasn't anything like the previous time uh, when we saw the market jump six dollars uh, overnight, Sunday night through Monday morning. And it seemed to lose a little bit of steam. I think it's really coming down to, okay, we're, we're lowering demand. We knew we were going to do that. Excuse me, lowering supply, but we knew we were going to do that. What's demand? And that seems to be the issue right now. Everyone's pointing at China. It's economic slowdown. Everyone's still, you know, half the country still wants to see an economic slowdown here in the United States. Um, so I think right now it's more of a demand issue than supply. And it's really kind of keeping a lid on buying enthusiasm in crude oil at this point. All right, folks, lots to watch in these volatile markets as we move into summer. Weather becomes center focus as well as consumer demand on the beef side. Darren Newsom is the senior analyst over at Bar Chart. We appreciate his discussions with us each week. Darren, as always, thanks for joining us here on AOA. Well, thanks for having me on again, Mike. And folks, stick with us. We're going to be talking with John Baranek from DTN Weather about that forecast and what it looks like for the week ahead. Stay with us. More AOA coming up when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. 
Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So, you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and we're turning our focus to the weather. Across the central part of the United States, there are two different weather narratives developing. Rainfall, finally, across the southern plains, and dryness across the northern plains, centered in that Corn Belt region. Joining us for an update on how this all could play out is John Baranek, meteorologist with DTN Weather. And John, let's start in the north. We saw a stagnant week last week. We saw dry weather, higher temperatures. What do you expect to see this week? Yeah, stagnant is, is a really good term for it. We've been just kind of having this broad ridge across Canada. It's kind of put a lid on the atmosphere a bit, so we haven't seen a whole lot of movement in it. We haven't seen a whole lot of fronts moving through. It's been a lot of just pop-up showers and thunderstorms everywhere. Um, and that we're, we're going to see a change in that pattern here this week. So, um, you know, like you mentioned, it's been hot and dry, especially in the eastern half of the Corn Belt. You know, you go east of the Mississippi River through there. And we've just seen uh, soil moisture dry up quite a bit. They haven't had the, the pop-up showers we've seen uh, farther west. And, um, you know, things have been really drying out. A lot of people are getting nervous about it. Um, and this week, we don't get a whole lot of the precipitation to come back, but at least we get the temperatures to come down. We've got a cold front dipping down through Canada and into the Great Lakes right now. It'll be kind of slow to progress southward. And it, it, interestingly enough, we'll be kind of backing its way uh, through the western half of the Corn Belt uh, this week as well. So um, it'll be a little interesting, but it'll it'll get uh, temperatures to cool down quite a bit. Um, places like uh, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan are going to drop about a good 10, maybe 15 degrees on their highs from where we've seen them over the weekend. So instead of being in the lower 90s, we'll be kind of in the lower 80s, in some cases upper 70s. So that'll help out with, with the stressful conditions, even if we don't get the showers. Now, this front will bring some showers with it, um, just not a lot. And especially when you get to Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, not a whole lot uh, out of that. Um, 
But, you know, you get farther west uh, along that front across Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, Missouri. We'll see we'll see at least a little bit of shower activity going on uh, with this front as it kind of backs its way southwest uh, through the region here. Um, and then over the weekend or late this week and weekend, we'll get another front to come through and that'll bring some more showers. It looks like it'll be kind of a little bit more widespread um, there from Montana all the way through uh, Ohio. So all, really across the Corn Belt, we should get at least some widespread coverage. I don't know if we'll get the, the rainfall amounts that would everyone would hope for, uh, but at least we'll get some precipitation to come through and that'll bring temperatures down quite a bit across the entire region again as well. So um, uh, headlines for this week is really just, we'll, we'll see some cooler temperatures, at least for the Eastern Corn Belt. We'll get some showers in by late week and weekend. And so it won't be completely dry. Um, and we are kind of getting into a pattern change here. That's going to be more favorable uh, for the Corn Belt going forward here through the, the end of June and, and through the rest of the summer, I think, too. John, while we're thinking about this week in the Corn Belt, looking ahead, the, the drought bullseye on the drought monitor has been, of course, in the Southern Plains, that Western Kansas down through the Texas, Oklahoma panhandles. We're seeing it flip and we're seeing that bright red extreme drought spot intensify across Western Nebraska up into the South uh, East corner, excuse me, Eastern Nebraska up into the Southeast corner of South Dakota. Is that geography in line for any shot of moisture this week? Some, and that, that front I mentioned that's kind of backing its way southwestward, we'll clip those areas with a little bit of, of precipitation. They saw a little bit over the weekend as well, um, a lot of little pop-up things, So, um, but they weren't moving very fast. So if you did get hit by it, you got hit with some pretty decent precipitation. I mean, I, I got one here in Minnesota. It all lasted about you know five, 10 minutes, but I got two tenths of an inch of rain out of it. So it was pretty decent. So if you were able to get hit by a couple of these um, you end up with some decent precipitation out of it. Now, of course, we're going to need more sustained rainfall uh, than just some pop-up showers moving through to, to get rid of this building drought, as you mentioned. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of rainfall across the Southern Plains lately and, and drought reduction there. But as you mentioned, that Eastern Nebraska and kind of Western uh, Iowa, Northwest Missouri area kind of hasn't had the precipitation to, to really stave off uh, the, the building dryness. So, uh, we're going to need to see some more of that. Like I mentioned, we get a little bit from this front coming through. We get another one from th from the one uh, late this week and weekend. Uh, hopefully, we get some decent precipitation in there. We got chances for it at least. Uh, models are putting out at least you know well, it, it's variable because models do what models do with thunderstorms, but uh, suggesting you know many areas getting uh, close to or over an inch. So uh, anything would be helpful. But at least we got chances for something a little bit more decent here uh, later this week. All right, some moisture shots for that corn in the Western Corn Belt. John, now let's turn to the south. That long-running drought across the Texas-Oklahoma panhandles, starting to see some alleviation. That Texas panhandle had some big drought monitor categorical improvements, and is there more rain on the way for that part of the world? Yeah, big ones, and then we had heavy rain after that, too. So it, it, the drought monitor came out on, on Thursday, and we're now in like D0, D1 drought in the Texas Panhandle, which is amazing considering where we were at the start of spring. So we've seen kind of like what we saw in California over the wintertime. We've had repeated heavy rainfall over that part of the country and and uh, has really improved the drought situation. Um, and like I mentioned, we got more over the weekend, too, after the drought monitor came out. So um, widespread improvement, at least in West Texas. Uh, it has migrated through parts of Kansas and Oklahoma too. Some of the deep red that you see on the drought monitor there has gotten some really good rainfall um, after the drought monitor uh, was released. So that's um, that's that's all good news for them. You know, it's a little too late uh, for the wheat crop. I know you were talking uh, with Darren um, earlier on the last segment, and you know, it's it's kind of hard to say that you know any rainfall now will be any help uh, to the wheat down there. But, you know, we, we need to get rid of that drought and forages out there. Anyone with, with cattle is, is, is really thankful that we're, we're finally flipping this pattern and getting some good rainfall in there. We've got more chances this week. So, um, you know, while the, the upper air pattern's changing a little bit, um, we still see plenty of showers developing down there in the Southern Plains. Now that's probably not going to be as widespread or as heavy as we saw last week or weekend, uh, but we still got shower chances moving through. So, uh, we still got plenty of opportunity to eat away at more of that drought this week.
All right, might see that coming. John, I'd like to zero in on Kansas just briefly if we could. They continue to be, it looks like, the, the state with the most percentage of it still covered in drought. That southwestern part, the highest-priced corn in the country, still in that deep drought. And of course, they irrigate their corn there. They can make up for a lack of moisture, of rainfall, but temps are a big issue. What do you see temperature-wise there across the southern plains this next week? Yeah, you know, with the repeated showers we've had over there, it's it's really tamped down temperatures quite a bit. And um, from for western Kansas all the way through west Texas, uh, temperatures have been running, you know, a good 5, 10 degrees uh, below normal uh, in terms of both highs and lows. So it's 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 been very good for, you know, reducing stress down there. That continues this week. We don't see any change with that. And um, these couple of cold fronts moving through will at least, you know, keep temperatures from getting up too high. Uh, you know, this time of year, we're looking at a lot of 80s and sometimes 90s. And I don't know if we're going to really break 90 uh, in the, you know, at least the next two weeks uh, in that part of the country. So um, honestly, things look pretty good down there in the southwestern plains. It's just a, maybe for some folks, it's the wrong time of the year. But, you know, for anyone that's producing, you know, milo or corn or anything else here for, for the summer, um, cotton, uh, things are looking, things are looking pretty decent. Uh, at least for the next couple of weeks. All right. And those lower temps will do do well to keep some stress off those high value cattle and those feedlots down there across the Southern Plains. John, of course, as we head into summer, we're also heading into fire season for the, the West, the Pacific Northwest. I know we had ample snowfall across the uh, that region this winter. Are, are we concerned at all about fire season as of yet, or might we actually get a break this year? You know, it, it's going to come down to, um, I think, how much growth we see out there in the West and how quickly that dies off this summer. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of hard for, well, and I'm not a fire weather expert, uh, by any means, but you know, what, what really causes fires out there is, is a bunch of dead vegetation. Um, so you get a whole bunch of rainfall, some good moisture to get some really good growth in the spring. It dies off in the summer, in the fall, and there's a lot of fuel there for fires to start and, and just kind of run rampant. Um, we're definitely going to get the growth. I think, uh, as you mentioned, we had plenty of snowfall, plenty of precipitation out there. We continue to see that this week and kind of signs are pointing to some, some better, you know, uh, better rainfall than I think I was expecting earlier out there in the West here for, for at least early halves of, of the summer. So, um, I think we're set up for some good growth. Um, and then, you know, history kind of suggests with, with developing El Nino's, uh, that, uh, that, part of the country turns kind of hot towards the late summer and into the fall. We get a nice big ridge of high pressure to kind of do that. And, um, you know, if that's the case, we might start running out of that moisture in some spots and uh, some of that nice growth on vegetation dies out. And then, yes, we'd be concerned about uh, wildfire season. You know, in recent years, it's been kind of all over and it didn't matter what time of year just because it's been had been so dry now at least this early part of summer is, is a little bit tamped down and we'll just have to wait till late summer and, and fall i'm glad you mentioned that point about the vegetation growth there has been a lot of that this spring folks we've been talking with john baranek meteorologist with dtn weather and john as always thanks for joining us on aoa and as always thanks for having me on folks stick around when we return we're going to talk with bill hoagland of the bipartisan policy center about what all is in this debt ceiling deal stay here for more aoa Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. There are a ton of social networking websites, but one stands apart for a very special reason. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. In the U.S., 22 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, most of them for kidneys. If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, visit MatchingDonors.com, home of the greatest gift of all, the gift of life. MatchingDonors.com. Put a frog in boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As veterans, we tell ourselves the lie that we can handle anything. We let the water boil. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's take a look at the market trade, kicking the week off on Monday with mixed to firm grain and oilseed markets. Crude oil up around 2% on expectations of more production cuts down the road from OPEC+. Plus. Now we see with the case of the wheat trade, Kansas City, Minneapolis wheat, the upside leaders in grains and oilseeds. Russia stating Monday morning they have restarted inspecting some ships, but also that they see no prospects for extending the grain initiative beyond July 17th. Also, Polish officials stating Monday morning that they've seen a copy of the European Union document that would extend a ban of four major grains from being imported from Ukraine into five adjoining Eastern European countries. The bottom line is that shipments of grain out of Ukraine are increasingly more challenging, so that's giving a bit of strength in the KC and spring wheat markets here, it appears. Now, the rains continue to outperform the forecast models in the western Midwest, which is a condition of the changing atmosphere. Those rains remain too little to support the crop thus far, but they're a move in the right direction. Heat is expected to shift with the high pressure to the north and to the west into the western Canadian prairies, bringing milder conditions to the Midwest going forward. And we continue to watch the weather models looking for chances for more widespread shower thunderstorm activities. We get into the middle part of June with the eastern Midwest looking like it will be the last holdout for getting significant rains. And they definitely need it as things are getting dry very quickly in the eastern Corn Belt. Now, as we take a look over at the livestock trade, relatively mixed and quiet to start the week there with hogs showing some pressure, triple-digit losses in front months, while cattle futures are mixed slightly higher as it appears futures are taking a bit of a breather to kick off the week after seeing good buying last week. Overall, mixed activity in the markets on Monday. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Last week in Washington, D.C., we had another example of Congress legislating by crisis. The debt ceiling negotiations, which had been dragging on since February, came to a head on Friday. President Joe Biden signed the most recent debt ceiling deal, raised the $31.4 trillion U.S. debt ceiling, and officially brought that piece of legislation into law. Now, there has been a lot of back and forth about what could be impacted by this debt ceiling negotiation, where the cuts were going to be, and overall, just how impactful is a piece of legislation like this going to be? Well, to join us to shed some light on this is Bill Hoagland. He's the senior vice president of the Bipartisan Policy Center. And Bill, thanks for joining us. It's good to be with you, Mike. So we've got this piece of legislation. We've got this debt ceiling agreement. Bill, are we actually cutting any federal spending, federal spending in this debt ceiling agreement? Yes, we are reducing spending in the area of the federal budget that's referred to as discretionary. This is the amount of money that usually is appropriated annually. And not to get into the weeds here, but this is basically about 15% of the budget will be constrained going forward. So while there is reductions here in spending in that particular area over the next two years, about $200 billion, if they carry out the uh, provisions that uh, are established beyond that two years, there could be savings in the federal budget by nearly $1.5 
trillion dollars over 10 years. But I think I would focus on the near term here. There will be restraints on spending in the near term for fiscal year 24. It'll start here in October and for fiscal year 25 next year. So that's uh, there is savings. Now, is um, I'm an old budgeteer uh, that we've left off the table an awful lot of the federal spending. Uh, uh, defense is not to be touched. Uh, all of what we call the entitlement programs, including the farm price farm programs uh, are off the table here in this agreement. So this is a, a, a portion of the budget, but it's not the uh, total spending of the federal government. Well, Bill, I think that is a fantastic point, and that highlights, I think, exactly what's happening here. We're cutting 15% of the federal discretionary budget by perhaps $200 billion in a deal Correct. that's raising the overall debt limit $3 trillion. So obviously, we're planning on borrowing more money long term, aren't we? Absolutely. In fact, uh, the path that we're on right now, I would uh, argue that over the next, at the end of the 10-year period, which we make these budgets and projections, and that's a long way out there, of course, in years. But uh, we're talking about a, a, a borrowing today of, of $34.34 trillion. We're going to increase that to, as you said, a couple trillion dollars, $36 trillion by January of 2025. But if we carry this on out, even under the best of circumstances, we're still looking at increasing borrowing over the next decade. And I would say by the end of the decade, we're still going to be talking about having to borrow up to $50 trillion unless there are other actions that take place in the budget between now and then, which there surely will be. But your point is well taken, Mike. This is a this is a down payment. It's not, uh, it's a compromise. It is a, it is a, uh, uh, what comes out of a divided government, so to speak, that uh, we're going to have to, uh, um, we haven't we haven't solved the uh, borrowing problem here by this particular piece of legislation, though it's a, it's a good start, and it's bipartisan. It, it's a good start. It's bipartisan. All of that you mentioned. Bill, I, I said it's expected to pass through the Senate. Is that still the expectation in D.C.? Absolutely. Uh, you have the majority leader and the minority leader, Mr. McConnell and Mr. Schumer, all in support of it. It will pass uh, the Senate. The question is, how fast can they pass it? Uh, we're looking at today uh, a balance on, uh, in our, if you like, in the Treasury, our daily statement. We're, we're down to about $40 billion in our uh, on bank account today. It wouldn't take much to eat that up real quickly with Social Security payments and Medicare payments over the next few days. So we have to move quickly. Uh, it will pass. The only question is how fast can they get it done? What's going to happen here? It's over at the Senate t this morning. Uh, they're going to start. They're already started on the process. The question is uh, whether there are members of the Senate who do not like this particular proposal in some areas. Uh, didn't cut spending enough. Um, uh, deals with a, a particular sensitive issue for in the state of West Virginia called the Mountain Valley Pipeline. There are people who do not like the fact that they have uh, strengthened the uh, work requirements. So there will be amendments, and the question is whether the two, two leaders can work out a way to limit the amount of amendments, because if this is amended, um, it will have to go back to the House. And I don't think we got that kind of time on our side. So they got to figure out a way to let the senators have the amendments, defeat the amendments, and move fast. Otherwise, uh, the Senate procedure is that uh, not, uh, process is a, a lengthy one. You have file motions to closure. You have to get over the 60-vote hurdle, the filibuster. There are, the, there are some possibilities that members could use their procedural rights that could stretch this out well beyond next Monday, and that would not be good. Uh, we would be, uh, we would potentially, we're still, we're still threatened with default here unless we can speed up this process in the Senate. Bill, and I think that leads to my next question is, let's say the Senate moves quickly, they get their amendment issues sorted out, they get a bill passed, it's, let's say the vote is Monday, after it's passed out of the Senate, and this is now law, the Treasury can borrow money again, is there an apparatus at the Treasury that needs time to get started in order to get the dollars flowing back into that checking account? Well, they've already started. In fact, today there's what we call a three-day bill that they've issued today that they're raising about $25 billion that they can do today. They have scheduled uh, uh, issuance of uh, bonds uh, uh, next week, uh, beginning on uh, uh, Monday and Tuesday. Yes, I think there there are uh, the mechanisms already there for uh, for starting to increase the borrowing that they need here to keep going forward. So yes, uh, the mechanisms there. 
I'm not worried about that. The question will be what they're going to have to pay, uh, what uh, the federal treasury is going to have to pay for this borrowing because uh, we have we have now created a risk factor here that uh, will mean that the interest rates uh, maybe have to will have to pay a little bit more for our borrowing, and that's uh, unfortunately that feeds right direct back into the fact that we have to uh, the interest on our public debt will go up. So. Um, it, the mechanisms there, uh, uh, the issue is how much is this going to cost us. And whenever we go through these debt limit debates, it always there is a cost involved, and that is this uh, fact that uh, risk uh, is appears to be a little bit higher, and therefore interest rates will be a little bit higher. Absolutely. Those investors are, are now a little perhaps more cagey about buying those treasuries. Bill, I'd, I'd like yep. to bring the focus back to something you said earlier. This is a compromised debt ceiling agreement. As you mentioned, not huge cuts to spending, but also not huge cuts to spending. So both sides sort of get what they want, given the fact that it is a 15% cut to discretionary spending in the near term. Do you anticipate large government bills like the farm bill this year having a tougher time of getting across the finish line? Uh, yes, <laughs> I do. Uh, let me uh, let me make very clear that I one of the elements that was holding up this particular uh, debate uh, over the last few uh, weeks has been what we call work requirements in the SNAP program, the food stamp program. I, I think your listeners know that the food stamp program or the SNAP program is a major title in the farm bill. In fact, it makes up about 80% of the cost of the farm bill. And the fact that we've had this debate in the debt limit will take that off of the table. We think we'll take the, the, the co-chairs and the chairs of the two agriculture committees said, we're okay, we've settled this. We're not going to debate uh, work requirements in the farm bill uh, because we've taken care of it. So that may ex help expedite it. But the fact that uh, we still have a lot of issues uh, and uh, the fact that uh, uh, we're still looking, as you, as we just discussed, uh, uh, the debt is still going to grow, there will still be pressure placed, I think, on the farm bill in certain areas to uh, reduce spending. And that in itself will create problems, I think, for, uh, for getting, it, getting it out. But um, the committees uh, are moving ahead. Um, I am anticipating that this um, is pro this is I'm not going out on a limb here. I don't think we're going to get a farm bill done this year. Uh, I have a feeling it's going to be kicked into uh, the second session of the 118th Congress. And uh, given that uh, Chairman Stabenow is uh, retiring, uh, it may go up to the end of her term in the second session. Uh, I just think the the, the uh, while we we can claim uh, success here, if you like, with a bipartisan bill last night. It's still going to be a controversial issue going forward. It is. I think it's a great point. These these discussions are not done, Bill, but hopefully we'll see the Senate vote this thing through. We can push this debt ceiling discussion off our radar. And my next question to you will be, with this in the in the right rearview mirror, what's the next crisis that's going to prompt Congress to ask? What are you watching there in D.C.? Well, I'm watching specifically our two uh, other crises. First of all, number one, we'll have another crisis come January and the spring of 25 because, we, as we just said, we just kicked the can on the debt limit. But we'll still have to raise the debt limit again sometime in uh, in the early 25 in the in the next uh, Congress, next Congress, as well as whoever is the next president of the United States is going to have to deal with this again early in 25. So that's still coming but a little bit longer term and one that's probably as important as uh, the debt limit is uh, uh, we have two major programs the medicare program hospital insurance program it runs on a trust fund that trust fund will exhaust uh, uh, be depleted and uh, by 2032 i believe it is 31 32 and social security trust fund is also will be depleted by 2033 if those are not, if those two programs are not adjusted, there will be a reduction in the spending in those programs. Those long-term concerns are still with us. Folks, we've been talking with Bill Hoagland, Senior Vice President of the Bipartisan Policy Center. You can read more about their writings on the debt ceiling and other legislative issues at bipartisanpolicy.org. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. And folks, stay here. More AOA coming up when we return.
Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, 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 we are are the the Foundation foundation Fighting Blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder. Being themselves is second nature. Summer Camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. 
When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA moves on today, and we're going to take our focus globally. We've got an update here from our friends over in Europe. We've been talking quite a bit about the impact of the Russia-Ukraine war on the flow of grain around the world. Definitely impacted a lot of the exports out of the Black Sea region, and that pushed more grain over land, both moving out of Ukraine over rails and on highways via trucks. And if it's moving over land, of course, it's moving right into its neighbors. Poland, Romania, several Eastern European countries have said they've been flooded by Ukrainian grain trying to leave that country. It's driven down prices in those countries, and their farmers have been frustrated. We've seen a lot of these Eastern European countries put bans on importation of grain from Ukraine. A few of these import bans have some exceptions if the grain can be shown, sold already, and it is literally just transporting through the country. In some cases, that is allowed. But otherwise, no new grain from Ukraine allowed into these countries, and that might be continuing. Poland was the first country to put a ban into place, so it is the first country to be looking at the European Union for permission to extend it. And in fact, they're looking for permission to extend this ban through September 15th. So taking it through the entire growing season there in the Ukraine. No response yet from the European Union as to whether or not that will be allowed. And in the past, uh, Poland was told by the EU they weren't allowed to do it, and they went ahead and did it anyway. So I think we're going to see this continue to be a battle over there and getting that, that grain and out of Ukraine. Also in Europe, a topic we've talked about on this program it has been the EU's push for greater environmental laws. There is a big law pushing through the European Parliament right now. They're referred to, they're referring to it rather as the nature law. And this law would require countries, EU member countries, to commit to restoring a fixed amount of their quote unquote damaged natural habitat by a specific year. And initially it was supposed to be by 2030. And then the percentages of farm or not of farmland, but of natural habitat that would need to be restored would rise. Well, we saw pushback build on that this past week. We saw the European, uh, one of the largest political parties in the EU back out of negotiations on this bill. They said it is too much. Their EU is throwing too many new rules and regulations at member countries. And now several other European countries have gotten together and they are trying to weaken this nature law. The proposal now um, could face pushback from EU lawmakers. The government leaders of France, Belgium, and Ireland have all come out and said this goes too far. And a negotiating document so far seen only by Reuters showed that these countries plan to weaken the proposed targets. And the big point of discussion seems to be wetting down peatlands, peat, the swamp ground that has then been harvested for uh, for peat over millennia. Part of this rule would require those peatlands to be flooded again so that they can, I guess, go back to making peat. And several of these countries say that is a little excessive and it is a little absurd. And that is the first point of contention where we could see European countries push back on this very wide-ranging nature law that has led to or contributed to protests, notably across the Netherlands. We spoke earlier in the program about the strength in the meat sector right now for meat producers. Meat processors, on the other hand, have been experiencing a bit of a reversal of fortune since the cattle prices started to scream higher. We've seen weakening financial results from every major meat packer here over the first quarter of 2023. We've also seen some other headlines coming from these meat packers, notably Tyson. In 2021, Tyson announced a plan to consolidate its leadership down at its Arkansas headquarters, and that means it has been closing down branch offices in uh, Sioux City, Iowa, 
Iowa and uh, Dakota Dunes, South Dakota, those twin cities up there on, on either side of the Big Sioux, and then in Downers Grove and in Chicago, Illinois. About 250 jobs are going to be terminated in both of those locations. Um, these employees, according to Tyson, had the opportunity to move to the new headquarters in uh, Arkansas, and about 262 employees have said they will not be making a move, and Tyson has now alerted the governments both in South Dakota and in Arkansas that these jobs will be going away. Tomorrow on AOA, we're going to take the focus global, as we like to do here on this program, and we're going to look down south to our neighbor, Mexico. The U.S. and Mexico have been on a back-and-forth, high-level disagreement about whether or not that country is going to continue to import American GMO white corn specifically. The leader of Mexico, AMLO, current president, has said that they will be seeking to ban importations of GMO white corn into that country here January 1st, 2024. Now, grain sellers around the world, notably the United States, which is the largest seller of corn into Mexico, have taken exception to this. They object to the way that AMLO is looking to ban GMO corn. The concern is that he's not looking at the science. He's making a political move in Mexico, is the argument from, uh, from those folks on our side of the border. And because of that, it should not be allowed to happen. And the way we decide whether or not these things, quote unquote, should be allowed to happen is through negotiations at multi uh, multinational events like the USMCA, the US-Mexico-Canada Agreement. That update to NAFTA that was passed during the Trump administration sets the rules for when countries can and cannot turn down trade from other folks. And we don't know how this is going to answer. On tomorrow's AOA, we're going to be talking with President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. Ryan Legrand will join us. They have been making this battle, or at least making these claims and having these conversations with high-level officials for the past year. He's going to give us an update on what to expect as this year goes on and as this political battle moves beyond the headlines and into policymaking. These are all things we're going to be keeping track of here on AOA, in addition to that ongoing spread of drought across the western Corn Belt. We're also going to keep an eye on the rainfall there across the northern uh, panhandle down in Texas. Those floods have been catastrophic in some places. Taking a look at how money management ended the week this past week, according to the CFTC, when they released their commitments of traders data, corn still net short. Investors holding 46,846 net short futures contract in corn. That's for the week ending May 30th. That means they've covered just about 50,000 of those contracts in the previous week. Will that buying continue? Stay tuned. The markets will be watching weather here in the week ahead. We'll be paying attention on AOA. Join us tomorrow for Ryan Legrand and Dr. Paul Sundberg talking on health. Have a great week uh, day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. 
And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. 